Welcome to the One Degree Shift Podcast, where we learn the little changes that future-proof some of our favorite companies and teams. Here's your host, Eric Termundi. Ian Crosby, CEO of Bench, thank you so much for joining us in the One Degree Shift Podcast today. How are you doing so far today? I'm doing great. How are you? Yeah, so great. And, and thanks so much for making the time to have this conversation with me. Uh, you know, a conversation about leadership, about the team that, that you're building and about the future of work and of bench. Absolutely. My pleasure to be here. Before we get started, you know, as I mentioned before we recorded today, I, I don't like to stumble over biographies and, and share with people what I think is important. If you wouldn't mind in, in 30 seconds in a standard, let's go pitch competition style. Can you give us an, an elevator pitch uh, about who you are, what benches, and ultimately how we got to be having this conversation today? Yeah. So I was a bookkeeper in college. That's how I paid my tuition. And I always had this niggling idea, this feeling when I was a bookkeeper, how come I'm your best option for getting your bookkeeping done? You know, this thing is mission critical. You can't live without financial statements for your business. How come there's nowhere on the internet you can just go and stick in your credit card and get financial statements out with great service and a guarantee that it's accurate. You know, how come everyone has to fiddle around with building their own processes, hiring people, not knowing if they're good or not, taking their risk? So a couple of years after I graduated, I worked for Bain & Company. It's a management consulting firm for a couple of years. And the idea just stuck with me. So I quit my job, didn't know anything about startups, didn't know anyone in startups. But I just started with the idea that that needed to exist. So that was about 2011. In 2012, we got into Techstars. Uh, we raised some investment capital. And in 2013, we launched a product in its sort of current incarnation, which is exactly that. We're the largest brand for bookkeeping now in the United States. You come to us as a small business, and we will every month give you income statement, balance sheet, and also connect you with a range of other financial services that you might need. So we're sort of that trusted resource for small businesses. And we started a price that is substantially lower than hiring someone. So our prices started about $125 a month. Which is incredible. And it's, it's for good reason that the city of Vancouver has, has you and, and Bench as a bit of a poster child. I mean, the work that you've done, I've been following it for years and, and, and want to better understand for the sake of, of the podcast and the conversation today, you know, the intersection of how you're making small changes that are made on a daily basis that make Bench what it is, while still focused on the longer term five and 10 year strategy as well. You know, how do you enable flexibility on the day to day while still being sure that you're held, being held accountable to the goal on the longer term basis as well? Well, let me start from the beginning then. I mean, that's pretty big. Uh, how do we run our company? The first thing is we don't think of it as like a centrally planned system. We think of bench more of as an economy with different teams that interact with each other, but really have autonomy over what they do and how they get it done and even what their goals are. So we have every different way that we go and we find customers, every channel has its own income statement, has its own P&L, and has one person that owns it and is accountable to its success. And they're accountable to hiring whatever team is going to be necessary for that you know, channel to be successful. And then when they bring in the customers, I mean, well, they don't serve the customers. They're a go-to-market team. They're sales and marketing, right? So what they do is they go and they hire the operations team to serve the customer and you know, they'll go hire the engineering and product teams to build whatever needs to get built for their customers. But really, it's like a collection of mini businesses that are each serving each other and are holding each other accountable to doing great work. Now, on a pretty much daily, weekly, biweekly basis, I mean, these folks are updating their plans constantly. Their forecast, uh, this is really how they're going to run their business. And our internal finance team works with each of these teams 
in order to get, okay, what do we really think is going to happen in this business in the next week, month, year? When you have all these collections of individual plans and you sum it up, then you get the big picture. So each individual team, they can update, you know, what's going on in their business and they can see how that's actually going to affect the entire economy overall, the entire business overall. And then as a, as a senior leadership team, those senior leaders in the business, we're really accountable for setting the direction of the company as a whole. So what do we actually want to do with this thing? You know, what's the purpose? Where are we going? And, you know, we set quarterly targets that's informed by all these sort of weather forecasts we have that's constantly updating. And, you know, we'll set, okay, we want to be here by this date. We want to be here by this date. But it's really, it's really organic. I mean, once a quarter, we're going, okay, we think, you know, based on the latest weather forecast, if, and, you know, we're going to start these initiatives as well, we should be able to get here. And we put a stake in the ground and then we're constantly measuring. But then, you know, halfway through that quarter, six weeks in, we might go, wow, the weather forecast, something horrible has happened. There's a tornado. <laughs> yeah. Time to update the weather forecast. We are not going to hit that target, right? But that, that's what's constantly going on. Now, the important thing is that there's no one person who owns this entire forecast, right? So mm -hmm. these individual teams, some of them are as small as three people, right? So you have people who just started three months ago, it's their first job, and they're, you know, managing, you know, helping to manage a P&L or figuring out how can we make our business most successful, right? Rather than doing tasks. So, you know, it's something that really allows everyone to understand both their team and the big picture. Because every time you punch in a number, you see how, you know, the results change for the entire business. You go, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> well, right, right. That's interesting. That's important, right? So people are, you know, mathematically on an individual basis, they're they're running their own little business and seeing how they affect the whole, um, which really connects people to you know, what we're trying to accomplish here. So, so two questions then. Number one, would this model work if the company was public? I think so. I mean, we plan on going public. And I'm not going to give a time frame here. Uh, <laughs> no big reveals on the Eric podcast. Um, That's okay. But uh, yeah, I mean, we plan on going public and we don't plan on changing the system. I mean, this is core to, I would rather change going public than change how we operate as a company because it's the key to our success. Uh, but I don't right. think it's going to be necessary. I think that when we go public, I want to experiment with how, just how open can you be? You know, uh, one of our principles is default open. And, you know, there's all kinds of things that companies don't usually share and then I look at it and I go, well, I don't see any reason to not share that other than just a general sort of culture of secrecy. So, so what are yeah, some of the things that reason. shares at the executive level or any level for that matter that perhaps other companies don't? Well, we have a principle called default open, which means that all of our information by default is set to open for everyone across a company unless there is a reason for it not to be shared. And generally what that's meant to mean is, I mean, private client information that's not Bench's information. That's the client's information, so that's not shared. That's confidential and only shared on a need to basis. Private employee information, you know, that's, again, that's the employee's information. That's not Bench's information. But right. in terms of any operational metrics, any financial metrics, I mean, we publish our financial statements internally to everyone at the same time. I get it at the same time as the person who just started yesterday. All of our, you know, our sales metrics are, you know, it, the details of how each of these businesses are performing. This is all public. You know, this is that, that weather forecast is open to everyone. Not everyone has edit right. access, <laughs> right. but everyone has, has view access and can see, you know, really up to the day, what is our latest perspective on our business? So, you know, pretty much any number that you would use to manage the business is open for every employee to see. One of the things that, that I thought was really interesting, though, too, as you said, in this evolution to one day, perhaps public, is this idea of experimenting to see what works. The idea of experimenting with something as 
serious or significant as a business model from my seat is very admirable, uh, but I don't see a lot of companies being as bold as experimenting with something that serious. And then I look at the model of Bench and I look at how progressive default open is and I look at everything you've accomplished over the past years and you've taken... I would say much larger than a one degree approach different than let's just say a standard operating model. Why are you more progressive in in the model of bench and why don't others typically do what you're doing? Well, I think we're more progressive because we're really serious about this company's success and, you know, we're going to leave no stone unturned in figuring out what is the best way to actually accomplish our mission. You know, if you look at, I mean, our second principle, you alluded to it, experiment together. This is a recognition that the scientific method is just the most incredible technique that human beings have discovered for uncovering new knowledge. And, you know, if you're really serious about success, you will apply that principle. One of the most powerful techniques the human race has ever devised, you'll use that to your advantage, not sort of say, stay, you know, safe. One way to do it is to see what other people are doing and copy it, right? That's the default way, not just the companies are run, but that human beings operate right? Let me, mm-hmm. if I do what other people are doing, that's going to be safe because those people are look just fine. So if I do the same thing as them, I'm not going to do too badly. Right. Right. Um, but at the same time, that doesn't lead you to giant successes and giant successes usually lie in the areas of new discovery or things that people haven't done before or discovered before. So, you know, our business model and our culture are the most important tools for us to succeed. So of course, you know, from our, from our perspective, it's sort of like, well, of course you should experiment with that, right? If you're not, then that, that's not just operating with one hand tied behind your back. That's operating with both hands tied behind your back. Sure. <laughs> so we're just, with, with you know, we're, we experiment with everything internally. With that being said, though, experiment equals change. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, I say quite often that there's two things people hate. One is change and the other is the way things are. <laughs> so it's kind of, it's kind of a loop. <laughs> uh, how is it then that you attract people that, that live for this change? I mean, I, I'm playing dumb a little bit because I, I know a little bit more about Bench. But for those who are new to the company, you know, this, this sounds like a rapidly evolving to, you know, like you said, organic developing organization internally that uh, is going to be a fun, but a wild ride at the same mm-hmm. time too. Work, work in two months not might might not be like it was two months ago. So, what story yeah. are you telling to attract people that want to be a part of this ride? Yeah, I mean, we're just we're super open about that. We actually didn't always do that well. I say this, you know, you should experiment with everything and and have every you know process optimized. But when you start. It's like you need 50 processes or 100 processes functional in order to get the company off the ground, right? It's like you don't need to have the fanciest billing system to charge your first dollar. You just need to have something that can collect revenue at all, right? So every process starts at this sort of like very, okay, like slap it together, um, right? And, you know, what we slapped together at the beginning was just like, hey, we're a cool company. Come join. And, right. you know, people found they were like, what? This is, this doesn't work. This is what I was looking for, right? So, um we learned to be very open, um, you know, about our culture and, and um, about what you can expect, right? In the hiring process, people are going to say, okay, this thing is about constant change. We have these five principles, you know, we have this, this mission, which is we want to bring a million people, master their finances, right? And we've got, you know, we're in the thousands, measured in the thousands right now, soon to be the tens of thousands, right? 
Mm -hmm. um, a million is a far way off. This is going to take a lot of work and a lot of freaking change, right? I mean, we started with 10 right. and then we got into the hundreds. Now we're in the thousands. So there's been a lot of change already, but that's not like, okay, we figured it out and now just, you know, ride it out for until a million. That's not how it works. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just make it open to conversations. You know, it's interesting how, how it all works. It all fits together, right? So I'm like, okay, let me describe another thing. That's probably not the way the companies work. So, you know, we have a regular recruiting meeting and we have all kinds of operational metrics around recruiting, both from the average retention rate, like what's the retention rate of new employees uh, for the first six months? You know, you see that's pretty critical to, okay, are we recruiting and finding people who are really, this is really what they want to do? Or do they come in and after two months, they're like, whoa, this is not what I was promised, right? right. But we have, we have all kinds of metrics to optimize around, are we actually finding the people who, who want to be, you know, it's a very particular flavor of company and culture and job, right? right? And it's certainly not for everyone. So we need to, it, just like our product, we need to go out and find the customer for that. You know, we don't need to know that we're finding the customer for this employment product that we have, right? Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we're constantly looking at those numbers uh, on a weekly, sometimes daily basis. And the recruiters in those meetings, right? This isn't like, okay, management has meetings and then, you know, someone passes along, you know, messes down the line to the frontline staff or something. It's like, you know, no, I'm, you know, CEO sitting in the meeting with the recruiters. You know, we're talking about what's working, what's not working, having an open look at the data. This data is open to everyone in the company. And then, you know, they're talking about their experiences and what happened with, you know, I mean, right now, uh, we're in the midst of hiring 200 people, um, right? So we're going through a big growth spurt. So, you know, this, we're talking about, you know, we, we've got, we train people in classes, right? We bring in people in classes of between 15 to 30. And, you know, everyone goes through a training program, which we call Bench Academy. And Bench Academy itself is being, you know, has its own measures and is being constantly tweaked and optimized and experimented with. So it's this whole organic system. And, and these individuals, People own their numbers, right? It, it's this idea of, okay, so I'm going to own the outcome. What you really want, okay, you want these three numbers, and it could be, you know, we want the people to be happy. But generally, the three, you know, if, if you're going to have three numbers, it's something around, is the customer happy, is the team happy, and do you do it efficiently, right? So for our bookkeeping, for example, like people who are serving bookkeeping clients, it's what's the retention rate of the clients, right? So are we keeping them happy? What's the throughput? What's the efficiency? And what's the team morale, right? So these are these three sort of counterbalancing things. You can always sacrifice one, right? You can sacrifice efficiency to push up morale. You can sacrifice, you know, you could not care about your clients and make your team really happy because they don't have to do anything, right. you know, or you can run your team into the ground and try to, but it's like, no, if balancing all those three metrics, if you make them all three of them go up, that's how you know you're actually having an overall effectiveness increase, not just trading off one important metric for another, right? So recruiting has you know, these similar numbers. And part of it is everyone knows what the numbers are. Right. You know, like in most companies, these numbers are sort of secretive. And then it's not, people can't be accountable because it's like people don't know if you did a good jo job or not. I can just hide in the corner. You know, my numbers are bad, but no one's going to know. And I'm just going to feel bad about it in the corner, right? And we're not going to do anything about it. And that just doesn't work if you want to build a team that is really creating results. We need to be open about what the results are and not add all kinds of meaning to it and make it bad when we miss our numbers, right? It's like part of it is if you pretend your numbers are good all the time and you don't share the actual numbers, then the expectation is that the numbers are good. And now you can't share that your numbers are bad because we live in this fancy land where the numbers are always supposed to be good, right? So it's going to be this big blow up. It's going to be a big upset. If people see the real numbers, we got to like, you know, smooth it over somehow. Maybe have a marketing campaign about how our numbers are actually not as bad as, <laughs> you know, 
versus if they're just open yeah. to begin with and everyone can see the warts, it's like, oh, that's what it is. And how do we increase it by 10%, right? It's not, you don't have a whole bunch of drama around the things that aren't working. It's just, those are the things that aren't working. I guess we should make them better. So that's how it all sort of works together. Now it's all, you know, there's so many interlocking pieces, it's hard to just describe one part and then, you know, show how the entire whole works, right? It's like we've evolved this culture and the system into, yeah, very much a different kind of stream how most companies operate, right? It's like very flat, non-hierarchical, open information sharing, people with radically uh, radical accountability. Like it's, it's more like a sports team, like a high-performing sports team in that way, where it's like, you know, everyone knows who scored the, scored the goal, right? Or, or everyone knows the score, the, the score of the game is. You couldn't keep it private if you wanted to. But imagine if right. all the score was private. <laughs> no one can know who scored, scored the goal, and we're going to, you know, we don't want to bias people to liking some forwards versus others, right? And, you know, you, that would not be a high-performing team, right? That, that would probably be the bottom team to lead. If, if I can just go back for perhaps our last question, maybe second to last question, and, and go back to that experimenting piece from Bench Academy to how you're recruiting to the performance of the teams, experimenting is sort of in your DNA. It's one of your key principles. Yeah. Uh, got that. If let's just say I'm on the front line of an organization in any city, USA, and I've got 120 emails that I've yet to be responded to, I've got calls <laughs> and projects that I'm behind on. How do I have, or how do I have the time to experiment? And then let's just take that straight back to bench. How have you built in time or flexibility or freedom for your people to experiment, to try something new, to test a hypothesis and ultimately increase the efficiency and effectiveness of their team? Yeah. So one is we allow our people complete autonomy over how their job gets done, what hours they're doing their job. Unless there's like there's some sort of time component where it needs to be done during a certain time, right? Like the sales team, they need to be answering calls when the customers are calling, right? So that's sort of like, okay, sales has to have certain hours. Bookkeepers, far more flexibility. Doesn't matter if, you know, the books are being balanced at three o'clock or eight o'clock or, you know, whenever. So we're very deliberate about the numbers that we care about. Not what I would call business theater. It's very common in companies where the way that it's decided if someone's doing a good job is whether it looks like they're doing a good job, right? Like, uh-huh, does that person yeah. look busy? Did that person show up at nine o'clock, not nine o two? And you know, do they say smart sounding things in meetings? We don't care about any of that. We're okay. So, did the customer stay or did the customers go? <laughs> do we do a good job? What was the throughput? The throughput was either seventy or it was eighty, right? And you know, when you sort of have that business theater lifted off your shoulders. It's like, okay, you got 120 emails, but maybe the bottom 60 aren't actually that important. In fact, maybe the bottom 30, you don't even need to respond to at all. (laughs) You know, once you're not doing business theater at all, and it's really about, am I being effective? You can start thinking critically about how am I spending my time? And so, I mean, I don't know that that's possible in all organizations, right? Because some organizations, how you succeed is business theater. So, you know, you might not, but if you're working for yourself, for example, how I manage my time, for example, is, you know, sometimes I start feeling flustered and like, I don't have time and oh God, and there's so much to do. And that's just a signal to me that, okay, I probably need to just cut the bottom 20% of things off my priority list. Like, um, and even there's an expectation. I said I would do it. 
I just send the email, sorry, you know what? I'm actually not gonna be able to deliver on this. I apologize mm-hmm. for that, you know? Because what I need to protect is my ability to actually think about what needs to get done, give myself that space, right? So if I don't have time, every morning when I get to work, I write out what are the three things that I absolutely need to accomplish right now? Like the, the top mm-hmm. three priorities. I mean, if you're not even giving yourself five minutes to write it down, is it really that much of a priority? You know, <laughs> and then I keep that, you know, that's open on my laptop and I think about that throughout the day. And, you know, you always create more time. Everyone has the same number of hours in a day and in a week, right? 168 hours in a week. And by definition, there is a 20% of those things that are less important. <laughs> whatever, whatever is the least important 20% of those things is the 20% that's least important, right? And, and there's probably a, a vastly different level of importance between the most important thing on your priority list and the least important thing, right? And then you have to slot in and where is actually prioritizing thinking and experimenting a long-term improvement on this list. So now the other part is we tend to attract people that can't help but think of experiments or can't help but think of better ways to do things, right? Like it's um, a lot of people here, it's fun for them right? <laughs> it's fun for me. Mm-hmm. Like I, 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 you know, I'll be in the shower and I'm like, Oh, Oh wait, what if we did this? Right? Like that my best ideas come to me in the shower. So it's not like it's competing with email time, <laughs> but it's also, it's like, but if you're running things so tightly that, you know, like five minutes, you know, a five or 10 minute delay is going to mess everything up in your calendar. Well, the calendar probably needs to be redesigned. So yeah, we try to not have people be stressed out, urgent, you know, frenzied because that's one of the least productive sort of states of mind you can be in. Um, We want people to be relaxed, thoughtful, productive, strategic, and experimental. So your actual question was, what could someone in another company do? Well, probably find a new job. (laughs) (laughs) If, If there's no way, that might be the answer. Or there might be a way if you could actually, you know, if you have the autonomy to actually organize your time and your calendar then, uh, you know, do that. And you gave us a, a lot that we can chew on, that's for sure. But yet, I want to be respectful of your time and, and thank you so much for, for being on the podcast today. As I mentioned, you've got a fan in me for everything that you've done in the, for the company and the incredible difference you, you make for a bunch, soon to be a million people uh, all, all around financial. <laughs> Absolutely. Great, right, great, to, uh, great to connect. Thanks for having me on the show. All right, thank you. For more podcasts, show notes, and to connect with our speaker today, visit erictermundi.com. That's E-R-I-C-T-E-R-M-U-E-N-D-E.com. And click the podcast tab. Thanks for listening.